Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the new episode uh, from Research to Reality podcast. I have a distinct pleasure to talk today to uh, Puneet. Puneet and I have a very long history. We started working uh, at Hewlett Parker Labs a day apart. Uh, so I always would claim that I'm uh, more senior than him. He counter arguments that he is what? A day younger than me. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, Puneet, uh, like Actually me, has- I was going to have them guess as to who's senior. <laughs> and who's taller. Uh, so uh, Puneet, just like me, has a long history of working in ICT. Uh, he's more on the C side, I'm more on the I side. So when you look back in this whole history of yours, um, what are the things that you were never guessed and what are the things that you anticipated would happen today? Um, first of all, thank you, Dayan, for uh, sort of uh, the allowing me the opportunity to participate in this Research to Reality podcast. Uh, it's actually been following it and um, I'm really pleased uh, to be part of it. Um, and with respect to networking and what we had expected or not expected, I think um, it goes back to uh, when I was doing my PhD at USC. Mm -hmm. um, internet was still in its infancy. And we all are actually sort of uh, part of um, the tremendous success that it mm -hmm. has seen. And what it actually um, reminds me of uh, is what I heard from John Postel, who was at, uh, who's one of the founders of Internet uh, and father of Internet, and he basically said, Internet works because a lot of people decided to cooperate and work together, right? That's and nice. that is basically what uh, has led to success. And the interesting sort of uh, place of being able to actually see collaboration as well as competition between, so it fosters the innovation mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think that is something that I hadn't, um, I guess, expected that that model of cooperation and competition to actually work so very well exceeded all the expectations that mm -hmm. any of us uh, really had. And uh, But with respect to trends, actually, we had seen a lot of it um, at HP uh, when we, uh, around the time we started uh, working, I think you might remember we had actually talked about uh, the rich media to masses or from masses, uh, there is a tech report from 2002 where we were basically talking about how the democratization of mm -hmm. uh, networking will happen and everybody will be able to sort of publish their media and so on. Look, now there is Facebook and not just human beings on network, right? Now we have machines and all the machine to machine communication mm -hmm. and so on is happening. The operational technologies, manufacturing floors. So it's just a wonderful uh, time and I'm actually sort of it's been personally to me a good journey to be part of that sort of uh, growth and exponential growth. Many years ago, computers were few. It started all with um, eventually big computers, uh, but over the time it went more and more towards the edge. And these edge instances are much more powerful and, and you have been researching there. Can you tell us a few words about it? Yes, so edge is, um, at the cutting edge of <laughs> research. No pun intended. Yes, no pun intended. Um, uh, but basically, if you actually look at it, uh, the edge computing uh, per se, a uh, lot of it goes to the amount of data which is being generated, right? We were just talking about how internet has moved from not just human to human communication, mm -hmm. but machine to machine as well. Um, there are um, 
there are projections of by 2025, it will be 175 zeta bytes of data being generated, right? And most of this data will be generated at the edge. Now, what is this data generated for? And how do we basically sort of do intelligent insights uh, on top of uh, the data being generated? So, I have um, sort of thought of three C's uh, mm -hmm. in this space. Uh, the first, of course, is cost, right? If you have so much data at the edge, and if you take the current model of cloud data centers, it's literally impossible to actually move all the amount of data to Too the costly. cloud, yes, right, too costly. At the same time, the other uh, C is the control piece, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of this data, especially if you look at uh, the industrial IoT that is focused on some of our research and so on, you need real-time control. So the latency of uh, being able to actually come up with these things is actually very low. So you have to do a lot of the computation uh, at the edge. From inside to actuator. Yes, closely. right. Basically, the, the operational technology, as it is called, or OT, mm -hmm. instead of the IT side yep. of things that we have. So, to be able to actually uh, manage a lot of those things, so that's where. So, what we are talking about, not just at HPE, but sort of industry-wide and so on, is can we actually move a lot of this compute uh, towards the edge mm -hmm. to avoid the cost and be able to actually do a lot of the real-time control uh, mm -hmm. as you're talking about. And it's not just in terms of machine, it's also about we all want things qu quicker and faster, right, as human, mm -hmm. human beings also. So the I mean, people are actually doing gaming and things like that where uh, in first-person shooter games and a lot of these other games and so on you have to have that response time. So you have to do a lot of the things at the edge. That's the other thing which is uh, uh, pushing the edge. And the third part actually, which sort of combines a lot of these, uh, the analytics that you are trying mm -hmm. to do, um, is uh, the notion of what I call connected comprehension. Right, oh, lot nice. of lot of this data. It's not just the insights that you have from one uh, point of the edge. It's basically combining all these edges together and be able to sort of pull lot of the insights and information from the collective information that mm -hmm. there is. So now you have the compute and the connectivity and being able to actually process this so that you can do real time uh, actuation. So even this. your last acronym in its own right is three C: collective, connected, comprehension. And when you talk about these, I like to think about those uh, north, south, and east, west mm -hmm. being from edge to the cloud and then among individual uh, mm -hmm. instances. Do, do you also assume that way? Or? Yeah, so I think um, that is, so a lot of the stuff that was happening in data center when you and I basically mm -hmm. started working at the web and uh, right, we still remember the utility yep. computing stuff at HP uh, that was going on. Um, we uh, basically were doing sort of what was called the north-south traffic, right? Uh, yeah. There is a lot of stuff which is happening in uh, the cloud, which is east-west, because you're doing a lot of the processing in the data centers. And now what my group is working on is uh, network systems which span from edge to cloud, right? For this connected comprehension, there has to be basically the the boundary between the edge and cloud itself is uh, going to blur. and no. uh, so. Edge in some ways will be distributed clouds, right? Yep. Smaller maybe, but then as you actually put in compute, so where does the edge end? Where is the edge, and where is the cloud? I think that boundary is going to completely disappear, and in some ways that actually also goes from the basic purpose or the intent of the users and the machines that there is. That is paramount. They don't. You and I are in this plumbing space where we want to make yep. the operations of things seamless so that people don't even know that plumbing exists. Thankless right. job. Thankless, Thankless job. Yeah. Thankless job. But sort of uh, the world can't move without it. 
So is it fair to say that over the last 20 years, the east-west traffic moved from north more towards the south, or in addition to the north also to south? Uh, I think it's mix depends on the use cases and so on as well. So I think um, for a uh, lot of the data which is being, so if you look at uh, the machine learning models and things being trained in the cloud, uh, there is a lot of east-west, but then sort of sending all these models and serving a uh, lot of the stuff. Um, the advent of public cloud, uh, I think a lot of the stuff is getting processed uh, in the clouds, but then you are actually accessing a lot of that information uh, as well, so I think it's a mix of both. Uh, I'm glad you brought up machine learning because up to so far you were talking about compute, but the compute changed. Mm -hmm. It's not any more general purpose compute, it's more accelerators for uh, machine learning, deep learning. Can you say a few more words beyond what you just said? So I think um, we were talking about uh, the connected comprehension, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, comprehension is basically this whole learning process uh, in AI or machine learning uh, that you actually um, were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, so a lot of the stuff that we talk about with AI accelerators and things, it is necessitated by the edge also, mm -hmm. right? Because you can't have big powerful machines uh, pushed all the way to the edge also. So can you actually do these accelerators which can make this whole process faster? These are very compute intensive jobs, right? So how do you actually move uh, the AI closer um, to uh, the edge that itself? Um, some of our edge line portfolio things like EL300s have basically done uh, the support for the accelerators and we are in my research group we are also sort of trying to bring a lot of uh, newer computing models like serverless uh, mm -hmm. uh, antonio has been actually talking about cloudless uh, now as well to be able to actually leverage and accelerate uh, these uh, mechanisms there two things i do want to tell is that there is the notion of ai for the connected mm -hmm. comprehension that you actually uh, <coughs> want to leverage and do things the other is AI for running the infrastructure itself, right? So these are two sort of different flavors of AI. AI for the use cases, because the infrastructure itself has actually become really complex, right? Mm -hmm. So the workload changes, mm -hmm. the infrastructure fails, and also how do you actually make these systems self-healing so that you can lear learn, and if there are flash cows, being able to actually predict the workloads and being able, able to ad adjust some of these things, uh, we were talking about accelerators. How do you actually make sure that there are uh, the workloads are uh, sort of migrated easily between the accelerators or in, in general the compute pool that you have available as well, and even between edge and cloud, right? So there is actually AI for the infrastructure and the AI infrastructure, infrastructure itself, and it is good to distinguish and be able to actually sort of do innovation in both the spaces. Well, these are great observations. So looking back at your area and my area, in the past when we started, you were in your own world, I was in my own world, even though I lived almost cubicle by cubicle. Uh, communication infrastructure was separate, developed by a few uh, big companies, and you know, computer scientists couldn't do much to it because it was specialized. But over the years, there's a lot of convergence. So there are software-defined networks, network function virtualization. Do you see this trend continuing, or how do you see the future? Uh, that's actually a very good point, Dayan. Um, um, I think the convergence, uh, because I like all the words that start with C, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. we were talking about. So I'll make sure I do all C questions. Yes, con convergence is actually one of those uh, other topics. And uh, I think 
it, let's actually step back a little. In some ways, the convergence actually comes from the fact of what I call are the most rich innovative spaces are, mm -hmm. right? To me, it is the cross-boundary collaboration. And we have actually seen a lot of this happen at labs uh, as we have actually sort of, yep. most of the fun ideas have come not from sort of the silos that we have worked in, but, but at the cross-section yep. of another C Absolutely. word actually, uh, uh, of uh, the words of the words that we are in. Uh, and that was, that has been the sort of fun part of, uh, so convergence is, the kind of convergence will change, but I think convergence by itself is here to stay, or at least that's the way most of the innovation will foster. We are, um, uh, <coughs> we were talking about the industrial IoT uh, use cases, right? That's the other example of convergence of IT and OT, mm -hmm. right? And these two worlds have actually existed with some amount of digitization over the years, just that they haven't actually converged. And it's the edge compute and stuff and the um, sort of mixing of collection of data from these uh, uh, OT devices to the IT and how you actually process this. Right? Where is this 175 zettabytes of data coming from? Yeah. It's actually coming from a lot of this being generated at the edge uh, that we are looking at. So that's where uh, we want to be at. So convergence is here to stay. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of the value add and the differentiation in the products and innovation will come from these convert spaces. So let's transition a little bit from technology to human factors. In the spirit of C, let's start uh, talking a little bit about the country of India. Yeah. Uh, we both immigrated into this uh, great country, United States, where we enjoy the benefits of working at the top technology, but we also go back home. I just came back from your home country, yeah. India. I've seen tremendous upswing. Uh, what is your experience over these 20 years? You went back and forth mm -hmm. multiple times. Can you say, how do you feel? What is your home? <laughs> home, uh, I think that's, uh, difficult. Home. Yeah. that's a difficult question. I will get back to you. Um, uh, so in terms of observation, I think uh, one of the bigger changes is been actually, and internet has been actually one of the reasons when I was uh, at IIT Delhi, uh, that's where I was uh, doing my bachelor's in engineering at. Um, we had very limited internet access. And what that also meant was that the access to the latest research and the academic journals yep. and things was basically all in the paper form, right? We basically had, the institute did not have enough funds to be able to subscribe to all of them as yeah. well. So the pace of research and the research culture itself was in some ways struggling. Mm. So that's one of the biggest changes that I actually have seen. Um, I go back and one of, the, some, one of the few times, one of the things that I try to sort of do as often as I can is to visit institutes, IIT Delhi, I mean it's my favorite institute in India. Um, I go back, uh, I try to give research talks. I have even actually taught uh, courses there and um, sort of seen the change in the research culture and research shift because now that access to information and thanks to internet uh, and uh, we can actually get the um, all the latest papers and things like that. So that is one of the biggest changes. And of course, right, um, it has the um, transition and transformation that happens when you actually move people, resources, and uh, uh, the intelligence and IP moves around. That's where a lot of uh, the progress actually comes from. So I have seen tremendous uh, progress there. And um, 
to answer your question about home or where is home, I think I'm still confused. Depends on what side of the bed I get off that no. uh, from. And uh, I love the open research uh, ecosystem because I wouldn't have been sort of able to do all the um, nice innovation uh, that I have uh, done, being able to actually sort of contribute not just to doing research, but also doing research which is basically impacting lives of uh, people, doing networking protocols which are in all the switches that HP switches, for, uh, ships for example, yep. right? So that kind of impact is very difficult to get and I'm glad that uh, I had the opportunity to come and do uh, my PhD here and then at HP Labs. These have been sort of, um, I guess, key phases of my career and uh, very thankful that I had the opportunity and be able to do that. Sort of but you don't only work for a big corporation here, you also volunteer for a professional organization uh, with the tagline, advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. And not only that you volunteer there, uh, you were also elevated to fellow. So the question for you in the spirit of C, do you remember what was your citation for elevation to our uh, fellow? Then you should have actually told me that. Um, I think it was uh, for, uh, by the way, becoming an IEEE fellow uh, is the proudest moment of my life. Um, it's actually, um, it was hard to get to. And when I get, got it, I was sort of, uh, made me really proud. Um, and uh, to the citation, I think it was uh, scalable networking protocols. And um, I think energy efficient data centers. So I think that's, nice. um, uh, and I think, so going back to volunteering and things like that, right? Uh, in the same spirit of cooperation that I was talking about from John Postel, who is actually one of my uh, heroes. Um, the same is true about a lot of the innovation and what IEEE does as well, mm -hmm. right? Fostering these, um, collaboration and forward-looking research for us, uh, the conferences uh, that are organized, and by the way, IEEE infrastructure that you started, uh, wonderful conference uh, right in time, um, as well as not just looking at what is happening today, but also the future, the technology trends stuff uh, that you do, for example. Um, basically sort of bringing in the insights and the learnings that we have from uh, the experts across uh, not just one field, multiple fields across different countries because the problems they are actually looking might be different. There are different solutions and so on. So I think um, it's um, the least we can do to give back to that peer community because without that peer community, um, I think neither of us will be able to make that progress. So the next question only for you, starting with C, collaboration with universities. H how do you see that? Um, there are some successful ones, there are less successful. We are in between uh, pure industry, business productions, and universities. How, how do you uh, make it happen? So, um, few things uh, about collaboration with universities. I think um, one is, of course, um, industrial research labs are very well positioned uh, in the space. I, my two choices after I finished my PhD, um, at least in 1998, were to join academia or to join an industrial research lab. And um, at the time it was clear for me because I've always been sort of uh, a pragmatic kind of innovator or researcher. I want to do things which see uh, light of day or are productized and so on. 
And um, so, industrial research lab, I got the opportunity at uh, HP labs to come mm -hmm. and uh, work on uh, some of these cutting edge technologies. Uh, and over the years, the things have actually changed, right? Basically, we are, especially if you look at the space that I am in, uh, which is network systems, right? Because all these are, again, going back to the, con the connected comprehension or uh, these systems are all networked and trying to sort of do things collectively. Uh, you need large infrastructures. You actually, and so the, the academia also is looking at a lot of the problems related to cloud and edge. So being able to actually bring in the um, bright minds from the academia to work on some of the problems that we are working on industry. We have a very strong uh, internship program uh, uh, as you're familiar with. So that is sort of the stepping stone to collaborating with academia. Uh, and for us, interns are not, I mean, especially a lot of the PhD um, students that we get in are not just like a three-month internship. They're not contractors for us. These are basically long-term relationships uh, mm -hmm. that uh, we are fostering. Personally, I've had long-standing relationships with Purdue, uh, UC Davis right here, uh, trying to build uh, new things also with UC Riverside, uh, Colorado University, and so forth. So, um, and in the past, we basically sort of worked across these universities. Um, I don't know if you remember, we used to have the IRP program where we yep. were funding the universities also. So I think the success is in being able to tackle real problems, right? And uh, even today, I was actually joking with somebody about um, who wants to work on AI and machine learning. I said, why do you call it artificial intelligence? It's actually real intelligence with real outcomes, right? That's yep. what we want to focus on. So collaborations with universities are uh, brilliant. I think the scale of problems that we are trying to solve are so huge that it's difficult to sort of make the impact individually, right? So the industry and academia have to work hand in hand to be able to make this progress. So. Speaking of interns, you remember one intern who was here for seven uh, consecutive years every summer? He came, uh, it was Partha's intern, it was amazing. But going back to the questions we see, uh, from collaborations with universities, moving to collaboration with governments, mm -hmm. what does it mean for you? It's not only source of money, but it's also source of guidance. So I, um, during my career here at HP, I have had the opportunity to both participate in some of the government funded programs. Uh, I don't know if you remember the chart uh, mm -hmm. program, which was funded by DARPA. Uh, and uh, I mean, of course, uh, you have been engaged with a lot of the uh, government-funded programs also. And again, sort of, right, if you have to solve problems at scale, I don't think industry by itself or government by itself or mm -hmm. academia by itself can actually sort of have that impact. So that collaboration and partnership, uh, the public-private partnership, if you want to call it that, is very, very important to be able to uh, make uh, progress. And uh, one thing that I still remember from the chart uh, program that we had was the fact that the goal of the program was not just to do the research as DARPA was initially uh, doing and was, but to be able to actually do research that could be, I don't want to use the term productized, but commercialized in a way where they could actually feed it to uh, various military programs as well as uh, basically outside to make it available for public use as well. So as part of the DARPA program, we actually set up a van with a satellite dish 
that would go to all these different locations and that was kind of our marketing of look this is the fun research mm -hmm. that we are working on and be able to talk to IT people at different of these locations see if they would be interested right yep. so those were some of the uh, fun things so yeah. sitting in DC building this van was just awesome yeah part of any successful research is also marketing so while we were talking about this, I was struggling to come up with the last C. So the best I could come up with is credible innovation. Um, what do you find is the good measure of innovation? Is it patents, papers, open sourcing? How has it changed from the past up to today? So I think um, this is something that actually makes me reflect also on industrial research labs mm -hmm. that we are part of, right? And over the 20 years that we have been here, we have actually seen how research labs have evolved. Some of them have disappeared completely. Some of them are actually sort of uh, struggling. So in general for industry, right, I think, um, which are spending so much, uh, for example, HPE is spending on uh, R&D, right? Those dollars have to show some amount of um, value mm -hmm. to the company to invest in us and all the research uh, that we do. So patenting is one way of actually sort of uh, commercializing uh, or uh, some of uh, the investment that the company is making. Um, but at the same time, I think in the spirit of cooperation, right, uh, there is um, of course the open uh, source stuff that we are working on. Uh, so. I think there are interesting models that can come up with. A lot of the standardization bodies have mm -hmm. actually come up with uh, putting a lot of these patents and coming up with ways to license and so on also. I'm all for open source, uh, but being in an industrial research lab, I think um, not trying to do something like the pharmaceutical industries are doing, yeah, uh, yeah. but at the same time, I think uh, it's important for the bottom line. And we do understand, right? The we, it's not that we want to hold all these things to ourselves. We contribute to open source bodies and so on. And uh, that's actually. Okay, well, thank you very much. This was one of the fastest paced, uh, full of information. I really enjoyed them. I'm uh, looking forward to working with you for many more years to come. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Uh, before we end, I'd like to remind everyone that you can subscribe uh, to this channel so that you be informed every time there's either teaser or introduction about the next uh, interview or the podcast in its own right. Looking forward to talking to you again. Bye. <laughs>